everyone. I'm Sam. And I'm Sean. And you're listening to Key to the Case. I don't have much to start off with today except to say thank you to all of our listeners for being so wonderful and for continually supporting the show by tuning in each week. All right, Sean, are you ready to dive in? I am. Let's do it. Molly McCauley was 59 years old at the time of her murder in 2016. Dr. Molly McCauley was far from your average person. She's described as a brilliant, thoughtful, caring, and ethical woman. Molly was an economist who specialized in satellite and space program issues. Molly obtained her bachelor's degree in economics from the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Her career began as a policy analyst at Communications Satellite Corporation, where she worked from 1979 to 1983. She simultaneously completed a master's degree program and a doctorate program in the field of economics at Johns Hopkins University. Following the completion of her doctorate in 1983, Molly accepted an offer of employment at Resources for the Future, which, according to their website, was the first think tank focused exclusively on natural resources and environmental issues. Molly would go on to spend the rest of her career at Resources for the Future, eventually working her way up to the position of Vice President of Research and Senior Fellow. So Molly was looked at as a pioneer in space economics. At 59 years old, she had this wealth of experience that provided incredible value to not only her company, but also to the large number of boards and committees she served on, as well as to her students. She was an adjunct professor at her alma mater, Johns Hopkins, from 1989 until 2008, so almost 20 years. And I had to take several economics courses throughout my college education, and the people who taught those courses were some of my favorite and most memorable professors for some reason. I don't know what it is, but those classes specifically, I remember the professors, and they always had interesting experience. And I can imagine the same was true for Molly as well. I imagine she left a lasting impression on her students. Throughout her career, Molly was well acquainted with testifying before Congress. She sat on expert panels and she authored over 80 journal articles, books, and book chapters. One of Molly's longtime colleagues, Margaret Walls, described their work as, quote, how you deal with trash in space what kind of incentive mechanism and pricing you might use. Just one of the last things she did was work really hard on a big NASA grant that we actually won, the organization won. And sadly, she's not here to lead it, end quote. Molly gave guidance to politicians about the economic and environmental impact of space exploration. After Molly's death, a number of her colleagues and friends wrote tributes that really helped me better understand who Molly was. And there were a lot of them. But I want to share one comment from Scott Pace. He was a member of the Space Policy Editorial Board, which is how he crossed paths with Molly. He said, quote, Molly McCauley was an incredibly intelligent, energetic, and caring person who brought both warmth and rigor to her profession and the space community. While she was the ablest of professionals in the dismal science of economics, she was far from dismal herself. She combined the highest professional standards with a sense of joy that touched everyone she met, end quote. Beyond Molly's incredible work and her professional accomplishments, I learned that Molly liked to garden. She was an avid runner, and she even liked to ice skate. Molly had a husband who died in 2003, 
Not sure the cause of his death, but she did find love again. Molly met a man named Lee in 2004 while she was ice skating at an ice rink where he worked as a rink guard. They hit it off. However, Molly made it clear from the outset that her work was important to her. It took priority. And because of that, she wouldn't have endless amounts of free time to spend with him. Lee worked weekends and Molly worked long hours. So their time together really was limited to an extent. But they enjoyed dancing together, going to baseball games, and collecting books. So how did Lee receive that? The fact that she was going to be spending a lot of time in her work and he would be getting, obviously, a lot less time with her. So I'm just wondering if he was okay with that, if they worked something out where it was like, okay, we'll get together on Saturday, you know, or whatever. Yeah, good question. I think he actually appreciated her mentioning that right from the start, and he respected it. He respected Molly's work. He appreciated the drive she had. So I think it was actually okay for both of them. And overall, he seemed to be really supportive of her and all of her endeavors. Molly and Lee didn't have any human children together, but she was the mother of two dogs whom she adored a plot hound named Leo, and a Weimaraner named Thatcher. She described Thatcher as ancient, although I'm not exactly sure how old he was. I'm assuming Thatcher passed on because at the time of her murder, she had a different dog, an Irish wolfhound named Wilga. Wilga was just seven and a half months old at the time of Molly's murder. In the tributes to Molly, one of her colleagues shared a photo a couple of photos, actually, of Thatcher and Leo that Molly had sent her. So we'll be sharing the pictures of the dogs on our Instagram in addition to photos of Molly. Leo weighed about 70 pounds. And according to Lee, he had a booming voice. And Leo is one of the strongest dogs he had ever seen. While we don't have a picture of Wilga, if you don't already know, Irish wolfhounds are huge. I remember the first time I saw one and just being amazed by their sheer size. They are the tallest of all dog breeds and can stand at about seven feet tall on their hind legs, according to the AKC. So these dogs are massive creatures. And I can't say with 100% certainty, but likely together they had a combined weight of nearly 200 pounds. And I'm not just going into the details of these dogs because I love dogs. Wilga and Leo are relevant to the story. So keep in mind their breeds and sizes. Molly was also known to support local animal rescues. So it seems evident that she had a love for dogs and I'm sure other animals as well. Although Molly worked in Washington, D.C., she was a longtime resident of Baltimore, Maryland, a city she loved and refused to move away from despite the presumably dreadful long commute to and from work. When I put it in Google Maps to see how long it would take, it said it was about an hour-long drive. And I'm sure during rush hour, it could be even worse. But she did take the train to work, and her boyfriend, Lee, would drive her to the train station and pick her up when she came back. It could sometimes even be between 9 and 11.30 p.m. She had a lot of responsibility at work, so it was not unusual for her to work those kind of late hours. Molly resided in the affluent Roland Park neighborhood, which is known as the safest neighborhood in Baltimore. It's really thought of as a quiet and quaint neighborhood, but it still offers its fair share of restaurants and shopping options. Now, 
Most people know Baltimore is not known as the safest city to live in. So I imagine Roland Park attracted Molly because of its reputation for being safe. But still, those closest to Molly described her as street savvy and someone who is always careful. I'm not super familiar with Baltimore. Uh, Is Roland Park more of a suburb of the Baltimore area or is it a sort of a neighborhood within the Baltimore city limits, downtown city limits? Yes, it's more of a neighborhood within Baltimore. It's not outside of it. Okay, gotcha. Molly and her boyfriend, Lee, spent the evening of Friday, July 8th, 2016, watching the Baltimore Orioles play the Los Angeles Angels. Now, this was a home game, which the Orioles actually lost. And Lee explained that he and Molly always attended one game per season, and this was their one game. Once they arrived home, Molly decided to walk her two dogs at 10.42 p.m. And talk about being a dedicated dog owner. I think many people who arrive home at that time would probably not walk their dog, but I assume she spent that day at work and they watched the game in the evening. So she likely saw this window of time as the only opportunity to get the dog some exercise. She's probably used to walking her dogs that late anyway. If you said she typically gets home between 9 and 11.30 p.m. Yeah. She's probably walking her dogs then anyway. Yeah, that's a really good point. It was probably not a big deal to her to walk them that late. Just before 11 p.m., so around 18 minutes after Molly left to walk the dogs, a neighbor of Molly's heard a scream that grabbed their attention. It wouldn't be long before they discovered Molly on the sidewalk coated in blood and still gripping the dog's leashes. There was a blood trail that led to a larger pool of blood just a few yards away. So it appeared that she was attacked in one spot. She was able to walk just a few yards away, and then she likely fell down due to her injuries. This murder scene was at the 600 block of University Parkway in Roland Park, which was the same block Molly lived on. She was just a block away from home. As soon as first responders arrived, she was transported to a local hospital where she succumbed to her injuries, which included several stab wounds. Specific information about the murder weapon has not been shared publicly, nor has the exact number of stab wounds, but the Baltimore Sun reported that Molly was stabbed in the neck. We do know the murder weapon was not left behind at the scene, and police couldn't find it discarded in the area surrounding where the attack took place. You mentioned she was still gripping her dog's leash. Were they still there with her? Yes. So Molly's dogs were actually found right near her when the police arrived, and they were unharmed physically, but I imagine there was a mental toll on these dogs witnessing their mother being killed and then no longer having her in their lives. I'm sure there could be some lifelong impacts there. Unfortunately, there were no witnesses who came forward who saw the murder occur or anyone who saw a strange or suspicious person in the area at that time. There were only the people who heard Molly screaming. Pretty brazen to kill Molly in the location that they did because there are houses all along the street and she was murdered on the sidewalk in front of someone's home. But there are a large number of trees in this area and there are trees in front of most homes along the sidewalk 
that likely would have obscured someone's view if they were inside their home when this happened. There aren't any homes on the opposite side of the street. Rather, there are a bunch of trees. And then on the other side of those trees, there's another street. And there actually appears to be a short walking path that takes you through the trees from one street to the other. But I'm not sure where that little path was in relation to where Molly was found. But I think it's conceivable that someone could have been walking along that night within the trees on that side of the street without being seen by Molly or anyone else for that matter. The other shocking aspect of this is that the street looks like it would be pretty well traveled, especially for people in that neighborhood. This was not a cul-de-sac or dead-end street. So this murder was pretty bold in the worst way possible to do this when someone could have driven by at any moment or someone obviously could have gotten out of their house quick enough to see this perpetrator. It's shocking. So it seems possible that someone could have been watching her from within the trees. This is not a super heavily wooded area or anything, but it's enough to hide from being in plain sight. Maybe they picked the moment they wanted to kill her, and then they could have ran back through the trees to the other street where their car could have been parked, and they drove off from there. I was thinking they might want to park on that other street so their car wasn't seen directly by the crime scene. I don't know if this is what happened, but it's one possibility. Shortly after Molly's murder, the Baltimore Police Department canvassed the area and they used a metal detector in an attempt to find the murder weapon. Police requested anyone with video footage, maybe a ring doorbell or some kind of security system to come forward, but that didn't provide any leads. Investigators regarded Molly's homicide as being quite different from the homicides they usually handle, which tend to be more related to drugs, gang activity, domestic issues, robbery, crimes along those lines. And there was no indication that this was a robbery. It didn't appear that anything was stolen. But I feel like most people don't take items of high value on a walk with their dog anyway. So I'm not sure there would have been much to steal. Yeah, I never take anything when when we walk Brownie. I mean, there's really no reason to. I just take my keys and that's it. Exactly. You're not going anywhere, so what's the point? I mean, right off the bat, I, I you you mentioned it was the safest neighborhood in Baltimore. Right. To me, it seems like it's she was targeted. Maybe I'm being premature. I haven't heard the you know all the all the details and facts yet, but it doesn't seem to me that anyone would just be roaming around looking for someone to kill in that neighborhood. I agree. I felt the same way when I was researching this case. On the one hand, the question is, who would want to hurt Molly? I don't have anyone to suggest, honestly. So in that regard, you wonder, well, could it be random? But on the other hand, the circumstances of this crime don't seem random at all. It seems like she was targeted. Who would pick someone walking with two enormous dogs as their random target? And it wasn't even, I mean, maybe they wanted to rob her and then they realized she didn't have anything of value. Unless they knew her 
and knew her dogs and knew they were harmless, even even if they were huge. So now I'm kind of thinking that whoever killed her knew her. Her dogs knew this person. Yes, that could be an indicator. The dogs not reacting really or the person not being afraid of the dogs could indicate that they knew Molly and knew her dogs. But at the same time, we can't say that with certainty. But you know what I was also struck by in this case is how safe Molly felt in her neighborhood. I feel safe in the neighborhood we live in, but I don't think I would ever feel safe enough to walk her dog that late at night alone. And it just makes me sad because Molly had probably walked her dogs along this route countless times with no issue. And I think it's possible the dogs gave her a greater sense of safety because who thinks someone's going to target someone who's walking these dogs with one of them being the literal tallest dog breed. It just makes no sense. And I think the fact that her boyfriend didn't join her on the walk likely means that he felt that she was safe too. The fact that this person is still out there is horrifying. And people in the Roland Park community felt scared and uncomfortable after this. Rightfully so. And some people said they would no longer walk at night because the person was still out there. Although there was one woman who lived in the area, she told the Baltimore Sun shortly after Molly's murder that she'd continue to walk in the neighborhood because she didn't feel there'd be more attacks. I'm not sure why she felt that way, but she must have felt for some reason that Molly was targeted. This neighborhood was not accustomed to homicides. In fact, Roland Park hadn't experienced a homicide since 1998, so 18 years prior to Molly's murder, further making me think that Molly likely was targeted. So not much information has been given to the public from the Baltimore Police Department, but I don't get the impression that they're holding back a significant amount of information. I'm sure they're holding some information back, but it kind of seems like there's just not much evidence to work with in this case. The crime happened in a matter of seconds, it seemed. They indicated that there were initially a few persons of interest, and I suspect one of those would naturally be Molly's boyfriend, but they were all ruled out. It doesn't make sense that her boyfriend Lee would be involved anyway since they came home together. It'd be weird if he waited for her to go walk the dogs and then planned to kill her in public while she was on the walk. So there are no named suspects or persons of interest at this point, but the Baltimore Police Department did enlist the FBI for assistance in this case. And regarding that, the lead detective in Molly's case, Sean D'Alessandro, told WMAR2 News, quote, I actually went to Quantico and talked to the behavioral analysis unit in Quantico with the FBI. They agreed with me on some things and came up with their own ideas also. I've explored a lot of possibilities. I'm still looking for that one. It's not what we know. It's what we can prove. And I got to go where the facts take me, end quote. So I'm not going to read too far into that comment, but the it's not what you know, it's what you can prove remark makes me wonder if he has a pretty strong hunch as to the motive in this case or even who could be responsible. But I'm not sure. Maybe it's just something he said. I think it's great that the FBI supported this investigation to some degree. It doesn't seem as though they're taking on an active role, more so almost acting as kind of a consultant 
regarding the criminal and their behavior. I think the more involvement from the FBI, the more likely this case will be solved just because I kind of worry about the resource to homicide ratio in Baltimore. But Sean, the lead detective, does seem dedicated and said something along the lines of as long as he is with the Baltimore Police Department, he will be working on Molly's case. Okay, I have to ask, was she involved in any other intimate relationships? Are you feeling paranoid because of the Diane yeah, Wolf case? Yeah, I am. Uh, I feel like you're going to drop a bomb that saying she was in five different relationships. But Oh my gosh, no, not this time. I did not read anything about Molly having any affairs outside of her relationship. And honestly, I don't even know when she would have the time. I mean, she was so busy, it seemed like, with work. And then when she wasn't working, she had all of her hobbies and she spent time with Lee. So... No, I appreciate the question. She was not having any affairs. So as far as DNA goes, the police department hasn't made a statement about DNA, so I'm not sure if they have any or not. And it's possible if they do have DNA, it could be a small amount that they have to preserve. But we really don't know. And collecting DNA from a public sidewalk seems a little problematic. It seems like it would have to come from her body to be the most useful. We also don't know the motive of this killer, but we can rule a few motives out. Like I said earlier, there was no indication that this was a robbery gone bad. And police have also confirmed that there were no signs of sexual assault, nor did Molly have any ties to gangs. That pretty much goes without being said. So you're not left with much to work with. Some people have speculated that this person had been watching Molly, knew her patterns to an extent, and this was an attempted sexual assault that went wrong. It's possible they thought they could threaten Molly with a knife and get her to go back in her house, but she screamed and that spooked them, causing them to stab her. So since it was a pretty affluent neighborhood, Do you see the possibility of someone coming into that neighborhood and finding a person walking, whether with their dogs or not, forcing them into their house for a robbery, you know, some sort of armed robbery? Oh, so you're saying throw out the sexual assault for a minute. And since they knew it was a pretty wealthy neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And then, and then things go awry and. She ends up just being killed, unfortunately. I just thought. Yeah, it seems like if that were the case, and this applies to the sexual assault theory too, they didn't try very hard, right? It seemed like Molly, they just ran up to her and killed her immediately. So that's the problem I have with that theory. And it goes back to there weren't violent crimes like this in this neighborhood. So why? Why would it happen in this area? And also, if you wanted to do that, pick someone who's not with two dogs. That just creates an element that's unpredictable and just another layer that you have to deal with as the perpetrator in that case. Also, with the sexual assault, I guess, or robbery too, if this person had been watching Molly, they likely would have known that her boyfriend was in the home. They lived together. So, if they knew her patterns and knew who she was, who she lived with, why would they pick someone who 
has someone else who's going to be in the home. So neither of those options make sense to me. You'd also think maybe they'd pick a more secluded area. This was along a street where, as I mentioned before, someone could drive by and see this go down. You also have to wonder or think about the weapon choice. Okay, a knife. Why would someone pick a knife over a gun? Because it's quieter. That's what I would assume. If your intent is to kill, then you would pick a knife instead of a gun because it's not going to draw immediate attention. But then again, if you just wanted to kill a random person, you're not going to pick the person most likely with two dogs who can bark immediately and draw attention to the scenario. But the dogs didn't bark. A lot of people question why no one heard them bark, but they heard Molly scream. They question like you mentioned, were the dogs acquainted with this person? And that's why they didn't bark. I personally think dogs can be really unpredictable in some ways. They can be predictable in other ways, but at the end of the day, they are still a dog. And I don't think we can always predict their behavior. But I found it interesting that Leo didn't bark since Lee said that he had a booming bark. I think about our dog, for example, He, I can say with 100% certainty that if a stranger comes into our home, he will bark because anytime a stranger has come into our home, he has barked at them. But if I were on a walk and this happened to me and a stranger came up to us, I don't know if he would bark or not because he's not in his territory. So to say that because the dogs didn't bark, they must have known the person, I don't think that's 100% true. I don't think we can say that, I guess. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I I think if someone ran up to us and accosted us on the street, Brownie would definitely bark. I mean, when we're walking across the street and, or sorry, we're walking down the street and someone is on the other side of the street walking their dog, he doesn't bark, but, but he doesn't do that because they're not running up to us or trying to interact with us. You know, if that person decided to make an abrupt movement and come over and say hi, I think he definitely would start being protective of of us because that's how he is. But it's hard to say with with her dogs. We don't know how how her dogs would have reacted if they knew or or didn't know the person. Right. I didn't read much about their behavior at all. I don't know if these were kind of the type of dogs who would be like guard dogs, like our dog, or if they're more laid back and friendly. There are some dogs who are just friendly immediately with everyone. Although, again, you don't know how they're going to act in a situation where their owner is being stabbed. I do have a friend whose parents have an Irish wolfhound. And it's funny because she's so huge, right? This dog is enormous, but she's kind of timid, if I recall correctly. I haven't met her, but this is what my friend has told me. She's pretty timid, uh, not the most social dog, doesn't have a ton of energy. She just kind of doesn't seem like the dog who would respond in this situation. But even though that's the same breed, who's to say what Wilga was like? She was still a puppy too. I mean, seven and a half months old, her behavior was probably still developing anyway, or her tendencies. So I see why people pick it apart because if the dog's not barking meant that they knew this person, then the pool of people who could be responsible here is infinitely smaller. 
So I really don't believe the dog's not barking means they knew this person. It could. I just don't see how we can say one way or another with the information we have. Has anyone asked Lee, you know, how, what their behavior is like when they see a person that they don't know? I would hope the police ask those kind of questions, but I didn't see that reported on anywhere. All he said really was that Leo had a really big bark and everyone talked about how much she loved her dogs. I didn't, like I said, I didn't read anything about their actual behavior. So I think we're on the same page here that we don't necessarily believe this was a random murder. It's a safe neighborhood that hadn't seen a homicide in 18 years. Sadly, I think Molly died that night because someone was there with the intent to kill her. That's why I think it didn't matter to them that the dogs were there. They weren't a deterrent because this person was likely set on doing this and they probably planned it out and knew her routine. We talked about possibilities before, but another possibility is that they'd been sitting in the car in the street, maybe parked a couple houses away from hers when they saw her arrive home. Maybe they waited in their car or got out and hid and waited for her to walk with the dogs because this was routine walk for Molly. I don't know who this was or why this person wanted her dead, but I think this was likely premeditated and targeted. I would suspect this could even be a hit, but the weapon choice being a knife is different from what you normally hear with hits. And Molly doesn't seem like the type of person who would have a hit out on her. I suppose with a gun, though, depending on what type it is, you could leave behind shell casings. And it just draws immediate attention to the situation when you're doing something like this in public. You have to wonder if this murder tied back to her work somehow. I don't have evidence to share that it did. I don't have evidence that police looked into her coworkers, her colleagues much. But again, because it's so much of what we know about Molly ties back to her work, you wonder if there's a link there. And when someone's in such a prominent position, I would think police would have reviewed that angle extensively. Yeah, she didn't have any enemies or anything. I couldn't imagine, right? No, I didn't read anything about anyone who didn't like Molly, who had it out for her. Nothing along those lines. So when you know that, I do start to wonder if this was random, but then I just keep going back to thinking, It was targeted because of the nature and the circumstances of the murder. I couldn't find any recent articles about Molly's case. So she was murdered in 2016, and there haven't been many articles at all since 2016 and 2017, which leads me to believe there haven't been any new developments really over the years. And to make matters worse, according to a CBS News analysis of FBI homicide data, the average clearance rate from 2015 to 2019 was approximately 39%. Although it improved in 2020 to about 47%, that kind of rate doesn't feel great and it doesn't really instill confidence that Molly's case will be solved. And you also just have to think about the workload. This is the kind of case where I wonder if it could benefit from something like a private investigator, someone who can specifically focus on Molly's case and Molly's case alone. I mean, I'm sure the private investigator would have other cases, but to be able to focus 
more attention on it and really dig into her life more. I mean, I, you know, hope the Baltimore police already did that, but to a greater extent. After Molly's death, there were countless tributes written about her, as I said in the beginning, and there were several cherry trees planted in her memory. There was a total of $6,000 donated to Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter in her name, which makes me really happy. An animal rescue and shelter can do quite a bit with $6,000. You can impact a lot of animals' lives with that kind of money. I believe someone out there knows something, and if they don't speak up or this case doesn't get focused on more, I don't know how this gets solved. But I think we have to hold out hope, of course. And relatively speaking, compared to other cases we've covered, this one's pretty recent. It's only seven years old. There is a reward for up to $10,000 for information about Molly's murder. If you have any information on Molly's murder, please contact Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. All tips can remain anonymous. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode today. Please share your thoughts. You guys never fail to surprise me. You're always thinking of things that we didn't think of. So I love to hear from all of you. And you can do that on Instagram at Key to the Case Podcast, or you can email us at key to the case at gmail.com. All right. That's all for now. We'll be back next week with a brand new case. Bye. Bye.